1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is believed. Holy moly, man, woman, and child did that put them in the aisles. Johnny the jet baggers just bore a moose from their shoes. Oh, they don't have them yet. Look at Tommy Frazier. How many tackles can one man play? Touchdown.
0: What's up, Husker fans? Welcome to Believe in Nebraska Football on the Believe Podcast Network. Um, I'm your host, Sam Casacho. Could not be more excited to be starting a Nebraska podcast. Um, in the pilot episode, thanks for tuning in. The maiden voyage, if you will. Um, I'm also just grateful to be talking college football with a little bit more normalcy this year. Um, I think around the same time last year, we didn't know if we were going to have a season, so... Definitely off to a better start with the Huskers and the Illini kicking off college football in week zero on national television. Big game for the Huskers, big game for the Illini as well. Divisional conference opponents, so it's it should be an exciting start. I know that probably both teams wish that they were flying to Ireland, but COVID's going to COVID despite how far we've come on the path to normalcy. Though I'm not sure it's really that normal to play college football in Ireland, but I digress. So let's take a look at the past three weeks of fall camp here. Now, as tempting as it would be to dive right into the NCAA investigation news that we heard last week, I refuse to, to start the first episode of this show on that note. So we're going to talk about some football, and I will, ad- I will address that later. So fall camp has unfortunately, I feel, become the most exciting, fun time to, to be a Husker fan. We're 0-0, there's excitement around the position battles, waiting for new depth charts to come out, which still hasn't yet, and I'm not sure it will. Apparently, half the teams in the league are not releasing a depth chart this fall. But ultimately, for a rebuilding program, fall camp represents the opportunity to, to turn a corner, Take things to the next level. You listen to the news cycle about fall camp and it's all of these beautiful stories about steps being taken and progress being made to, to how this year is going to be different. So what's different about this fall camp under Frost compared to the previous three? I want to start by kind of reviewing each position group and see what the buzz has kind of been around uh, the team and 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 the skill positions and the defense, etc. through the through the, first 3 weeks of camp. So we'll start with a group I know everybody is excited to see and going to be an- anxious really is more of the word than excited. Anxious to see what the wide receiver group is going to do um on the field this year because there was certainly a lot to be desired based on the way that that this group performed last year. I think that's putting it kindly. Just at a first glance at the wide receiver room with the loss of Wandale Robinson to the transfer portal, this marks yet another season where Nebraska loses its returning leading receiver to either the transfer portal or the NFL. And the next leading receiver was actually Austin Allen, not a receiver, tight end. So that's not really different. The, going into last fall camp, we had lost JD Spielman to transfer. And the season before that, we had lost Stanley Morgan to the nfl so huskers find themselves in a similar boat and if anything things are not as good you know at least on paper in terms of returning production now this is not me trying to say that the wide receivers will not be good next year that they won't be better than they were last year or or anything like that maybe they'll be the best they've ever been as 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 frost and lubick and, and others have kind of suggested throughout camp that this is the most talented room that they've ever had and and that they're the deeper at wide receiver than they've ever been. All that could be possible, but I think that it's important to just to just say it's unproven. I think that, you know, that's kind of been the story for a lot of different skill positions over, over Frost tenure. It's it's there's nothing we have not seen that on the field. They're they are not, you know, reloading at wide receiver. Our new slot receiver is a transfer and Samari Toure. And I know that there's a ton of excitement around him, and I'm so excited to see him but it is completely unproven excitement around Omar Manning there was there was an enormous amount of excitement around Omar Manning in last year's camp he had one target last year it's just not been seen that doesn't mean i don't think that Omar Manning will be a good receiver or that the wide receivers won't be better this year than they were last year i think they probably will but it is not it is yet to be seen so you can't sit there and and, and feel like now, this year we're reloading our weapons at wide receiver. The leading receiver last year that is returning, this is the leading receiver, Xavier Betts with 131 yards and one touchdown. I mean, a lot of that came off of one play, too. That was a he had like a 50 or 60 yard touchdown last year. So, that, you know, you don't feel amazing about that, but I I do think that the, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that the excitement is warranted, but it's it's unproven. So, speaking of unproven, let's move to the running back room. Now, the good news here is that our leading rusher is returning this year. The bad news is our leading rusher from the 2020 season was our quarterback. The next three leading rushers were Dedrick Mills, Luke McCaffrey, and again, Wandale Robinson. Dedrick Mills has gone to the NFL. Luke McCaffrey, Wandale Robinson, are gone via transfer portal. The running back with the most production returning is Marvin Scott with 24 carries for 62 yards. So again, like it's an unbelievably unproven group. And this is also not to say that whether it be Sevian Morrison or Markey Step, that, that that they won't be an improvement, whoever's taking the bulk of the carries this year from from what we did last year in the run game. What it is to say is that it's that it's unproven, that it's not something that I could look on paper and say, I'm really excited this year. We reloaded, you know, we're bringing back a duo or a trio of running backs who were all explosive on the field last year. It's a bunch of guys that aren't proven though. Unproven they are Scott's guys. So I think that there is definitely hope. I mean, there's definitely the hope and the room for that to make to, for them to take a step forward this year. Like there's definitely, you know, it's definitely possible, but you know, it, it it hasn't been seen. And I do think that the that the fact that you went out and got the, the upperclassman USC transfer in step, you know, does that necessarily mean you don't believe in the other running backs in your room? No. But I don't think if you felt a thousand percent confident that you would be going out and trying to bring in an older guy who, you know, I I, I don't know how much is gonna shake out given that Step was injured for all of Spring, but I'm not sure that it means that you were completely confident either. I don't think a person, I don't think a coach that's completely confident in the running back room that he currently has goes out and gets a transfer, you know, a grad transfer from USC. And also I think, you know, the, the progression of the, of the offensive line, that's been good, you know, outside of Cam Jurgens' snap issues. But the, if the offensive line continues to progress, I mean, honestly, that's where the run game starts anyways. Um, but speaking of the offensive line, let's take a look at at, at what the stories around that in camp are. Um, I think most people feel like the pipeline is 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 coming back. Like, we're really reloading. Like, it's going to be just a, this this dominant force this year. And I think it could. But I think a lot of people are blowing past the fact that the, we've, lost, uh, we've lost a captain in Matt Farniak, who during his career as a Husker, he's a two-time captain. And during his career as a Husker, he started at every position on the offensive line. He played right tackle, guard, and center. At some point in his Husker career, he started at all the positions. And Brennan Hymas is the most consecutive starts of any Husker lineman in the history of the team. I don't know. I, now, I know that Turner Corcoran came in at left tackle and replaced of, of Hymas. The fact that he succeeded and had a great game, and he did. He had a great game against a Rutgers defensive front does not necessarily mean to me, though, that we're just going to not skip a beat after a 40-game start, consecutive start left tackle is just gone from the program. I'll tell you this, protecting our quarterback and 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 opening up running lanes against Rutgers will not be the same as opening up running lanes and protecting our quarterback against Ohio State or Wisconsin or uh, several other teams in the big 10. So I'm not saying that they, that Turner Corcoran can't do that. But again, like I think people are just blowing past the pack that like that is a shift that we've now had a pretty big shift away from Hymas and Farniak, two guys that win the NFL are just no longer with, with this offensive line. Now, again, Turner Corcoran, Bryce Benhart, like that's what moved Farniak over is Benhart going to right tackle. Like these are Scott's guys. These were highly recruited guys and they look great. And all the news out of camp is all good stuff, but I got to see it. I got to see it on the field. Cam Jurgens. I mean, everything about him coming out of camp is, is, is amazing stuff that he is going to be a force and is a leader in the locker room. But each year that he started, there've been snap issues. Do I want to believe? And do I honestly believe that the snap issues are getting resolved and that, the Cam Jurgens move from tight end to center is working out? Yeah, I actually kind of do. But there's no way I'm not thinking about it until I see him not have snap issues. Like, I think, I'm pretty sure last year we talked about Cam Jergen, The you know, has his snap issues been corrected? Yes, they've been corrected. And then what happens? I so We see the snap issues again, and then, you know, there's no way to not wonder about it in this camp if last camp we talked about Cam Jurgen snap issues and then we have still seeing them. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I do think that 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 we're looking at a different, a little bit of a different story here. And and it should be a good sign because I think last camp on the defensive side of the ball there was a lot of turnover with like Darian Daniels and the Davis brothers leaving. So I was concerned would they take a step back. And the truth is, with guys who were kind of unproven like Darian Daniels stepping into a bigger role, Ty Robinson. Garrett Snodgrass, like some of these other guys, Luke Reimer, stepping in, guys that are you know more quote unquote Scotts guys, people Scott recruited, like Robinson, Snodgrass, lot Reimer, what have you. They stepped in, and it felt like the defense last year took a step forward. And then on top of that, when you're looking at the, they actually handed the black shirts out yesterday. Um, the 12 players that got them. All of them except for three had received black shirts before. So we're we're returning a lot of guys there. We're reloading a lot of talent there. That's you got to feel good about that. In this camp, I definitely feel better about it than this camp than I do in the in the previous one. And it was very exciting to see Darian Daniels, um, a guy who's like called like Snacks, <laughs> when he first came to this team. That was his nickname. Was like typically associated with being like overweight and out of shape, being like. Completely transformed his body, being named a captain like that was really awesome. And Cam Taylor-Britt just being like a force and coming back and you know all that is good. Deontay Williams is a sixth-year uh, senior, so in that department, that you got to feel good. If you know, I feel good about where that that group is at um, compared to to previous years. Um, I think in a lot of ways, like when you look at the offensive groups and the defensive group throughout Scott's tenure, it feels a lot like. The offense from where it was, like where it ended in Scott's first season has kind of regressed. Like the farther we got away from J.D. Spielman, Stanley Morgan, Devino Zigbo, Maurice Washington, like by the end of that year, that group was a very electric offense and it was hard to stop. And the defense was kind of seemed to be kind of where we were lacking. Like we were putting up a ton of offensive yards on people, but it was the defense was having a hard time getting stops. As we've gone year one to year two, it felt like in year two, the defense was better. But with the loss of Stanley Morgan and the loss of Divino Zigbo, the offense was missing a step. And then it felt like from year two to year three, the defense took another step forward and the offense took another step back with now not having J.D. Spielman. felt like we were. It felt like we didn't have a replacement for J.D. Spielman at all. We were like counting on Wandale to create a spark in the receiving game. And then, D, and, and then in the running game, too, because it didn't feel like when Mills was injured at times, we didn't really have somebody behind Mills. So that's kind of the state of the Husker defense and the Husker offense going into this fall camp, which really only leaves special teams. Special teams is probably a group that hasn't changed all that much since Scott got here. Um, and that's not really a good thing. Special teams have been very rough um, every single year, and it seems like every camp... We talk about how there's an emphasis of special teams. And obviously I will touch more on the special teams. We talk about the scandal, but ultimately, you know, special teams needs to, to put, put something on the field here. Um, apparently Mike Dawson has kind of led the charge of organizing that this year and had the other coaches, uh, you know, involved in, you know, all the coaches involved in different groups trying to turn that around. So, Another thing that, like, they say, you know, the the buzz is that it's gotten better, but uh, it's unproven to me. Like, we haven't seen it, so until I do see it, I'm not going to necessarily feel, uh, I'm not going to feel super secure about it. So, that about does it. Offense, defense, special teams. So, what's different this camp than the camps prior? And the answer's not much. I mean... Sure. The defense has made some strides, but there's a lot of places and positions on the team that have yet to put it on the field. And, you know, there's a lot of excitement, but I think, you know, and I'm excited too. Like, I think that there, that there's a lot of room for, for this team to be good, but I think that there's a little bit of caution there that I have a little bit of, you know, just, just reel it in a little bit. Like I, I'm not sure that, that, that you know, I don't think it's going to change overnight. I think after three years, maybe, maybe it will. I Maybe everything is going to fall into place and, and, and everything's going to be better, but I just am not sure that that that, that this is the kind of thing that, that happens overnight, and I think it's going to be just kind of progress. Like, honestly, playing Illinois Week Zero, that's a big game for the Huskers. Like, we didn't beat Illinois last year. We lost in an embarrassing way. Progress is is being able to beat a team like that and, and, and you know handily and, and, and show that, you know, we're in the next tier. We're not in the Illinois tier. We're in the Iowa tier or however you want to look at it. Like just make progress. I just don't, I think sometimes in, in in previous fall camps, like in going into year two, because we had success at the, in the, in the second half of the season, we played Iowa close. We're a field goal away from beating Iowa and going into year two, we were, you know, we were were ranked going into the season. And then when it didn't happen, when that didn't that wasn't really like where the team was at, we took a lot of steps back on offense, et cetera, it became this really like negative energy vortex of like this is all of despair. And like, I just don't want, you know, I don't want that to, you know, I think that we all need to temper our expectations. Um this is a rebuilding program. And before before you write off what I'm saying here as Uh, Negative Nebraskan, crying in my coffee, despairing about my my woeful Cornhuskers. The fact that nothing has changed is also a really, really, really good thing. This is the longest the Huskers have gone without a head coaching change since Pelini was the coach. So for the first time since 2014, we have had the same head coach for a fourth season. That's a big deal that's going to make an that can make an enormous impact particularly when you're talking about recruiting and 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 not just recruiting but just familiarity with everyone on the team and the system the schemes the practices what's expected and just a sense of uh, a sense of normalcy which you know not to make excuses but like certainly last year wasn't really the best year 3 that any you know that you would want to have as a rebuilding program right but it is. This is the fourth season that these guys, and it, I think it has made a difference. You know, according to Frost and Matt Lubick and and, and Chenander, like the ones and twos have separated, and you know they can focus on just fine tuning some of the details and game planning and installing because they kind of know what guys they want in and, and the ones and twos. It's not like. You know, when they first got here and, and literally everyone is in a position battle and they're evaluating every player on the roster and, you know, the the further you could get away from that, the more streamlined everything was going to be. And that's been, you know, a big story this camp too. And that's a, that's different than in previous years. And on top of that, you know, ever since Frost got here and he talked about building the culture and that it should be a player led team that wasn't happening at the beginning, reportedly that's happening now. In terms of what happens in fall camp, I mean, uh, th- the media is allowed in a little bit. I'm not allowed in it at all. So the, the, the um, what exactly happens, you got to just take their word for it. And that kind of leads to where I have a little bit of caution. But the truth is, like, th- th- this is going to be a process. That's That's the reality here. It's going to be a process. It was always probably going to be a process. I think it's taken longer than I thought it would take. And I think it's taken longer than Scott Frost thought it was going to take but it's going to take however long it takes. The process will be what it is until it plays out. So that being said, we've talked about fall camp. we got to talk about fall camp and another scandal. Um, that's another thing that has not changed from fall camp to fall camp. Going into the second year, the scandal was surrounding Maurice Washington. Last year, the scandal was obviously the covid big tens the suspending of the the schedule suspending play and uh scott Frost's comments about that you know people in the national media calling for scott to or to, to i don't know calling for scott to be fired or nebraska to be kicked out of the big ten there were a lot of things a lot of a lot of rocks were thrown <laughs> after after that and and we were almost there we were almost there we're going into the, you know, the to, to wrap up the final the the third week of camp, going into the final week before the the Illini game, and here it comes. The head coach of Nebraska, Scott Frost, 12 and 20 in his first three seasons, and three and five last year, is reportedly being investigated by the NCAA for misusing a special teams analyst. Come on, is this really national news? Is anything involving a special teams analyst national news? Why do I need to get like everyone that I know coming out of the woodwork? Be like, did you read about this? You're a Nebraska fan, right? Did you hear? Did you hear about Scott? Are you going to talk about this on your podcast? Yep. I'm going to talk about this on my podcast because that's so exciting. It's a great thing to talk about this what how was a special teams analyst used last year and listen like i don't want to to sit here and i'll have plenty to say i have plenty to say about how i feel about the, the coaching staff and how and, and the fact that this happened but i do i will say that it does feel at times like nebraska has kind of turned into the heel of college football like why are these why is this interesting to anyone outside of the the cornhusker circle misuse of a special teams analyst. This is a Lincoln Journal star breaking news. This is the Omaha world Herald breaking news. Yes. I'm getting an ESPN update about this. Who else cares about this? I, I, like I said, I don't think anything involving a special teams analyst outside of like, you know, special teams analyst hack someone into pieces and put them in the back of his car. I feel like I get the same level of response about Scott Frost using a special teams analyst as I did about the Baylor, you know, sex scandal, 50 counts of of rape and years of sexual misconduct, that was just kind of like, yeah, there's not going to be any punishment for that. A losing team in the, in the Power Five has misused one of the special teams analysts they have. And really, like, at the end of the day, like, most of the, the word on social media wasn't like, oh, my God, I can't believe they misused a special teams analyst. It was mostly something along the lines of, like, a dumpster on fire floating down the river. It felt more like just a good opportunity to kick a, fo- a losing football team while they're down. I mean, even in the middle of fall camp, this is our time. I started the show off by saying that. This is when we're allowed to be excited, and we allow ourselves to imagine all of the wonderful things that are going to happen this year. A wide receiver room with no one returning is going to be the best wide receivers we've ever had. And you disrupted that daydream to tell me that, hey, remember how much you suck? Yeah, I got it. I know. It's a dumpster fire floating down the river. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for punching down at Nebraska football fan base and the, the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. Would this be, I mean, honestly, would it be covered the same way if it was the Illini? Who cares if the Illini, like, would it, there have been an article about it? Sure, maybe. But no one would have been like, oh, my God, what did what happened? Like, I get it. Everybody is very excited about the the prospect of, of is their trouble in paradise with the former Huskers Scott Frost and his losing Nebraska Corn Huskers. I get it, I get it, but I mean, come on. I mean, if this was happening with with Ohio State, it wouldn't be that big of a it wouldn't be that big of a story. It would just be like, I mean, this happened to Michigan. I think so. there was a similar charge to Michigan in 2010, and I think it ultimately ended with like. The reduction of a hundred, you know, a hundred hours reduced from their practice allotted practice time, something like that. Hundred and thirty hours, maybe. And listen, I get that I sound like a little bit of a homer right now, defending, you know, don't don't pick on the Huskers, blah blah blah. But I do feel like there's, you know, how is this really news? Is this really national news? Do we need do we need everyone to be talking about this? Does it need to be talked about? I mean, literally anyone I know that follows college football hey, did the, the Huskers misuse a special teams analyst? Come on. Now, this is not to say that I am not, uh, th- that I don't think it's newsworthy within the Husker circle. I, I mean, obviously it is. So I direct my, you know, malcontent uh, towards the national media. Now I'll direct my message here to Scott Frost and what I think about the fact that this has happened. Scott, I'm gonna play a little message here. That is you, about a week ago, talking about a practice that you had during camp. I was frustrated today with, uh, we had a big big 10 officials out there today and we had too many flags on the ground. That's been a point of emphasis for us all camp. Um, Gonna go watch the tape. Most of those are with the the twos and threes on little things. Uh, But, This team needs to understand that they're good enough to be in every game if we don't do the things to beat ourselves, and that's been the um, thing that we've talked to about them the most ever since the end of last season. And I hope they get it, think they do, and we'll keep working on it. So you want to see the team do things the right way. You don't want to see us beat ourselves. You don't want us, you know, pay attention to the details. You're frustrated that you had Big Ten officials come in And the twos and threes got some flags thrown on them. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm pretty frustrated right now because that's like the last thing we need. You're sitting there telling these kids to to do it the right way. Don't beat yourself. Don't get a penalty. That's what's killing us. It's killing drives. And we're sitting here trying to have a fall camp. And the NCAA just threw the biggest yellow flag into the middle of the camp to dominate the news cycle on you. Starts at the top, man, and I get it. I'm sure you're frustrated by it. The truth is, I shouldn't speak on it too much because it's supposed to be what innocent until proven guilty. I'm not sure it works that way in the NCAA, but the spirit of that, like there, he's being investigated. We'll see, you know, how what this even turns into. But from what I've read, it doesn't seem great. It seems like maybe a special teams analyst was misused, and it's it's a small thing at the end of the day. What why was there an analyst on the field? When, like, he needed to really be communicating to the other coaches, and then they communicate to the players. Like, if that's the rule, that's the detail. Like, you need to be, you know, if you're preaching that to the kids, you got to be following that yourself. So, you're frustrated, Scott. I'm frustrated also. But I will say this I do not think in any way that the confirmation bias and conspiracy theories that the national media is peddling about this being some sort of a way to fire Scott without having to buy him out of his enormous contract. It's been extended through 2026. I mean, there's the, the whole thing that has been built here with, you know, whether it be on Reddit or in the national media about this is like there, I could it be true? Possibly. But the idea that like the school has pushed bill Moose out because either because of the because of the special teams analyst scandal or because they're upset that they extended Scott despite them, you know, everything from the school being positive about Scott and the other coaches or that that they pushed Moose out and then Scott has fired the analyst and the the chief of staff on the team was also took another job. He wasn't fired, but he was also pushed out because of this large move that Trev Alberts is pushing to get to be able to fire Scott, because that's what he wants to do. But he doesn't want to have to buy him out. And this special teams analyst is the loophole that, that has been needed. Listen, the national media has been pushing that Scott Frost is on the hot seat. Since before anybody heard about this, so they've been looking for anything that happens out of the Nebraska football program to confirm that they that he is on the hot seat, despite Trev Alberts being on the record that we have great coaches here at Nebraska and that he was just at practice yesterday handing out black shirts to the two defensive captains. I just, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it at all. You know, when you're spending all this time running this negative press about this team, would you care to tell me what's going to happen after that? Like what is, what's going to happen? What is, what would you, what would Nebraska football do after firing Scott Frost for not winning a big 10 championship in the first three years or not making a bowl in the three? I mean, it's not like it's not disappointing, but I'm just saying, what would you, what do you think the program would do? Go call up what? Call Let's call urban Meyer and see if he would, maybe would rather leave the Jacksonville Jaguars and come coach the Huskers. I mean, I don't know. You know, obviously there's coaches in between Scott Frost and Urban Meyer. I'm exaggerating. But the point is, who do you think is going to want to come coach this team when four years ago, Scott Frost is coming off an undefeated season at UCF. There's more coach turnover that year than I can remember. I mean, Oregon had a vacancy, Florida, Florida State, Mississippi State, Tennessee. Um, there, I think there were others. A guy who just gone undefeated is one of the hottest coaches in the country. If not the hottest coach in the country chooses to leave UCF doesn't choose to go back to Oregon or recruit at bigger programs in Florida, go play, go coach for them. He chooses to come back to his alma mater, uh, Nebraska team that was, I mean, you want to talk about a dumpster fire. That was the rock bottom, I think for the, for the program ever. It was the worst season in the program history. He chose to come back and rebuild this program. You really think after three years that that he's just going to be just thrown to the side because of either because of what he's put on the field or because he misused a special teams analyst? Who would want to come work here after we took a guy who had gone undefeated at UCF, was the hottest coach in the country, but didn't take jobs at, it objectively? better, more secure programs, Oper- certainly programs that had a better opportunity to win and win, you know, now. Oregon has won more games than Nebraska every year in the Sur- you know since he was hired at Nebraska. They had won more games before he was hired. Like, he chose to come to a losing program instead of going to winning programs because he is fun- from Wood River, Nebraska. His parents were a part of the athletic department, coached the athletic department for decades chose to come to this school and rebuild it from the ground up and after three years we fired him who would come coach here if we were willing to do that to a person with as many ties to that that played quarterback here won a national title here his family is from nebraska he's from nebraska he's been around the campus since he was a child like if we were willing to just cut him and just cut him loose after three seasons of adversity, after he turned down jobs at better programs, at winning programs, who would take this job? Who would take this job and feel safe? It would be considered, not only are you taking over a losing program that doesn't have a population base to recruit, but if you don't win in three years, from from if you don't win immediately, if you don't win within three years, they'll cut you even if you are... Your ties to the program go back to to, to your childhood. Like, your, your parents coached here. You played here, won a national title here. He was literally the starting quarterback for Nebraska football. If we fired Scott Frost, there's not, we better start looking at high schools for coaches because I don't think anyone, no one's coming. So I would love for the national media to start creating a list for me. If we're going to run the articles about – this is it. This is they're gonna. This is all a big scheme to, to the to get rid of Frost to oust Frost. This is a big scheme to oust Frost. Like I would love to just if they wouldn't mind also just sending me the list of all of the high school coaches in the country so that I can because so that I can begin inter, so so that we can begin interviews. You know what I mean? I I don't I have I really don't know what the thought process is there. The truth is in uh 2018. This was truly a program facing oblivion because we were a program that had fired a coach who won nine games a year for eight years, okay? We had then hired a new coach and fired him after three years. The problems that face Nebraska's program are very real. We had taken a step back. Yeah, obviously we'd made a mistake in some, some ways. I mean, people criticize Pelini, but we won nine games a year. We haven't been able to do that since. We haven't beaten Iowa since Pellini was gone. It's like the Pellini curse. And the fact that the hottest coach in the country was a guy from Wood River, Nebraska, who quarterbacked here, was like some sort of a miracle, honestly, that had a staff of young, excited coaches that he was just going to take from an undefeated UCF team that had just beat Auburn, Auburn being a team that had beaten Alabama, the national champs that year, as the only undefeated team in the country, took the entire staff from UCF, brought them here, to rebuild the program. I mean, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. That's like the luckiest thing I've ever heard of. So the idea that, that the national media is peddling that, that he's on the hot seat and any, you know, a special the misuse of a special team analyst. I knew it. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. That would, that would not be a good thing because the truth is, and I'll say this to the Husker fans. The truth is we have to put our faith in the guy from Wood River, Nebraska. He's a young coach with a young coaching staff who are excited, who have obviously put good stuff on film. Regardless of what's happened in the last three years, you can't take away what happened at UCF. And the truth is UCF has run their system since they left and has continued to have success. You know, they're clearly intelligent coaches. Does that mean that Scott has all of the answers about how to rebuild an old traditional powerhouse in college football back into its former glory? That he's not going to have any Bumps along the road, or you know, dead ends on the path to 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 greatness. No, it doesn't mean that. Of course, there's going to be some some issues, and I think that everybody thought it would happen sooner than 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 it has. But life is about your next best alternative, and I think if the guy from Wood River, Nebraska, who played this program, who's been around this program since he was a child, can't find a way to return us to former glory. Nobody will. When I watch Scott Frost do a press conference or, you know, there were times during Riley's tenure that I did not feel like Mike Riley cared as much about the team as I did. I know when I watch Scott talk, there's no way I care more about this football team than Scott Frost does. And no one believes more than him that it's going to return to former glory. So we got to put all our eggs in that basket. Because we don't really have a choice. So to end on a positive note, I wanna say that I believe that the wide receiver room is gonna be the best that it's ever been. I believe that Sevion Morrison and Marvin Scott and Marquis Step are gonna be, you know, some combination of Amon Green and Lawrence Phillips out there. I believe Adrian Martinez is gonna have the best year at QB that he's that he's ever had and and, and be a Heisman candidate. I believe in all of those fall camp daydreams. Just preaching a little bit of caution, that when that doesn't happen, just leave the shotgun and the scotch in the closet. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to Believe in Nebraska Football. I hope you'll tune in again this Friday as I preview the uh, Huskers versus the Illini and what Brett Bulima may bring to the Illinois football program. And as always, go Big Red.
1: I was raised in Nebraska But one time I journeyed south And the things those Okies said down there Made me wipe out a couple of mouths They like their Sooner football And they don't like the Huskers enough But I surprised them all when I sang this song I made them take off and run you can boast about your victory tell me all about your team but when we meet on the football field your bridges won't be clean you can brag about the sooner and sing your old Knuckleheads don't belong. about the sooner and sing your old fight song. But don't come across our borderline, because you knuckleheads don't belong. Oh, no, don't come across our borderline, because you knuckleheads don't belong. Get on back to Oklahoma.